You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. In your Bibles, the title of my message today is Kingdom Paradoxes. Kingdom Paradox. A paradox is, is uh, something that doesn't seem to make sense or seems to contradict itself is a paradox. That doesn't really make sense. It seems to contradict itself and yet it's a reality. And I want to just uh, show you some kingdom paradoxes. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to come with me to, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. We're going to read from verse 31. 1 Samuel 17, reading from verse 31. Reading from the same translation Jesus used, the New King James. It says this, it says, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they, were, they reported them to King Saul. And he sent for David. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, you know, Goliath, this giant. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul was hoping that, you know, this was a warrior. This was a mighty man of valor who was saying, Hey, I'll fight the guy. And then he looks down and sees this teenage kid. And so the Bible says that, uh, Saul, you know, looks at him and says, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're just a youth. And he's a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, this is the part I want you to, to catch. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And the Lord be with you. What a beautiful passage of Scripture. But I want you, I want to uh, kind of juxtapose that. I want you to now come to me with your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. So we know from there David defeats Goliath. Uh, Saul becomes jealous. David hides out in the wilderness. Twice he's almost executed, but he shows honor to, to King Saul. When, uh, when Saul is finally taken out by the Philistines. Saul is killed. Jonathan is killed. Somebody comes to David and says, oh, here's Saul's crown and here's his armor and here's his gold. I killed him. And so David has him executed. He says, man, you, you think you're bringing me the, the crown of someone that you perceive as my enemy is going to win you points? Did you not even think twice about stretching out your hand and striking the Lord's anointed and that guy died? And then just a few months later, somebody else comes uh, and says, hey, you know, I also was there and I also uh, struck down the son of Saul, who Ishbosheth, who was reigning in Israel. And here I've brought his head to you. And David's like, yeah, well, you're going to die today as well. David writes a lament and writes a song for somebody that was hunting him, someone that was hunting him down. The Bible says that God chose David because David uh, had a heart after God. A heart after God means that, that God actually saw so much of his own heart values in the heart of David. That here was someone Saul 
wanting to hurt David, wanting to execute David, and yet David is, is writing songs about how magnificent, how beautiful Saul and Jonathan were. What, what a tragedy it was that these, these men, these great princes, these great warriors, he completely covers. He doesn't, he doesn't go into his pain. He doesn't go into his personal anguish of being chased down, being hunted down. Doesn't t- call them out for being hypocrites. T- you know, three times Saul called off the dogs and says, I won't hunt you and then changed his mind. Saul tried to set him up, tried to set him up for his death. Countless times threw spears at him. None of that is mentioned. All that is mentioned is just honor. He's just honoring King Saul, just honoring King Saul in this lament. And he causes the whole nation to fast and and bring honor. David, fast forward now, is in a place where he's he's, uh, just said, hey, is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness? And they said, well, actually, there is Mephibosheth. But when when Saul and his sons were all executed, the maid picked up little baby Mephibosheth and ran with him and she tripped and she fell on him, snapped his pelvis, broke his back and he's now lame from the waist down. He's now, he's now a cripple. And David says, go and get him, go and get him. Well, when the, the royal chariots pull up in front of Mephibosheth's house, he thinks this is the day that I've been dreading. This is the day that, that I knew was gonna come. In every civilization, in every kingdom, in every new empire, in fact, right through the animal kingdom, lions do this, that when there's a new alpha, they kill the old alpha and they wipe out all the prodigy of the old alpha to remove that DNA. So it's only this alpha's DNA that goes forward. This happens in the animal kingdom as well as in the the physical kingdom of, of humans. And so Mephibosheth, bows with his face and says, what does the kid king want with a dead dog like me? I'm no threat. But instead of him being judged or executed on that day, David has him elevated to the king's table. He sits now at the king's table. He feasts at the king's table like one of the king's sons. He's not a biological son, but he's been positioned as a son. And when you're sitting at a table, you can't tell because there's a tablecloth covering your infirmities. It's a picture of Jesus that we deserve death as sinners, but God has elevated us and seated us at His table as sons of God, and He has covered our infirmity. He's covered our sin. He's covered our lameness. He's covered. This is what's in David. David is, is just so magnificent. But now let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to read from verse 17. 2 Samuel verse 17 says, Then the men of the city came and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises. And he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech the son of Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Tebez? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah, the Hittite, is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. And we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants and some of the king's servants are dead. 
and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you. For the sword devours one as well as the other. Strengthen your tack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. Trying to bring a contrast together. I've, I've got two, two main points today that I want to try and jump into in just a few minutes that we have. The, the, first, the first point that I want to bring to you is a kingdom paradox. And I need you to write this down is how you got it is how you keep it. How you got it is how you keep it. This is, this is a, a, a tragic situation here where the, the, the kid that God watches from heaven, the kid that God sees from heaven who, who's looking after a few sheep, his, his brothers disdained him. It was the lowest job in the family because David has a different mother to his other brothers. They kind of they mistreated and kind of almost abused and ostracized David. So he was kind of like the shepherd boy. He was the guy who looked after the sheep. But one day the angels of God are watching and here comes a lion prowling and snatches one of the lambs. When David sees that, he immediately loads his slingshot, bam, hits the lion, it drops the, it drops the lamb. He goes after the lamb, picks it up and he strikes and kills the lion. Then a few months later, a bear comes out of the woods and grabs one of the lambs and David again, bam, hits it, bam, hits it. When it rises up against him, he grabs it by his beard and he strikes and he kills and he slaughters the bear. God is in heaven going, look at this kid who lays his life down. Look at this shepherd. He, he lays his life down for a little. How easy would it be for him to go home and say, daddy, daddy, today a lion came and took one of the lambs. Oh, son, thank God you're safe. You know what? The sheep they're going to mate again will have more lambs, but I've only got one. This kid, David, lays his life down again and again. God watches this. But now fast forward. David is king over not just Judah, he's king over Israel. He's doing benevolent acts, benevolent acts of kindness. But you know, sometimes you and I can deceive ourselves that we can be doing good things and then believe that we are good. We can do good things and then believe that we are good. It's interesting, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus thought, wow, that's interesting. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Jesus wasn't saying that he wasn't good. He's just saying, I want you to see if there's anything good, it's God. It's the God in me that is good. It's not, but this guy thought that he could achieve goodness in himself. David, has, he's doing all these benevolent acts. He's, he's won every battle. They just whoop the Philistines. They just whoop the Amalekites. They just whoop the enemy. David is victorious. He's having wins. He's, he's securing territory. He's defeating the enemy. He's pushing the enemy back. He's showing incredible kindness. He's reflecting the heart of God, but he doesn't realize his heart is drifting because the Bible says just before this, it happened in the spring of that year. When kings go out to war, David decided to stay behind. And he went up onto his rooftop and he says, as he's on his rooftop, he looks out and he sees a woman bathing on her rooftop pool. And the Bible says she was beautiful to behold. So David inquired, who is this woman? See, he's the king now. And as a king, he rules over the entire empire. And so as the king, the best of the land, he can kind of have it, it kind of belongs to him. 
And so he says, who is this woman? They said, well, that's, uh, that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. He says, I'll bring her up to the palace. They bring her up to the palace and David seduces her and sleeps with her. But he doesn't just sleep with her, she becomes pregnant. When she sends a message to David saying, I'm pregnant, he's like, oh, shoot. Uh, your husband's out at war. It's going to be, I've got to cover this thing up. How many people know you can't cover up your sins? So he brings, he brings Uriah back. Uriah, Uriah, buddy. Have a little dinner and then why don't you go home and have a little cuddle with your wife? The Bible says that Uriah leaves but refuses to go home and sleeps on the front porch of the palace. The next morning, they, they wake David from his slumber and they said, you're not going to believe this. Uriah didn't go home. He slept on the front steps. So David brings Uriah in and says, is there anything wrong with you? Like, you're going to drop dead gorgeous. Not that I know. Not that I know. I'm <laughs> just assuming. Uh, why would you not go home? And he said, how can I go home and enjoy the warm embrace of my bride when my brothers are out there right now risking their lives to take, God forbid that I should do such a thing. So David's like, wow, this guy's got some principle and devotion. I know what I'll do. I'll get him drunk. Because once somebody's drunk, morals and principles usually go out the window and you're more susceptible to giving in to the inclinations of your flesh and your carnality. So David gets him drunk that night and then sends him home to Bathsheba. But instead of going home to Bathsheba, he turns right around and sleeps on the front porch of the palace. This happens three days in a row. Finally, David realizes that this guy is so moral, so upright, so honorable, that instead David writes an edict, a message in a scroll, seals it with the royal insignia and says, take this to Joab. Uriah takes this scroll. He, he, he can't even begin to comprehend like the favor of God. He's rejoicing, man, the blessing of God. Like of all the people that, that David asked for, he asked for me. That's why I'm so glad I showed him how honorable I am. I showed him how virtuous I am. He has no idea that the scroll that he's holding is not battle instructions that has his best interest at heart. He's holding his own execution papers. That when, when he brings this to Saul, he doesn't sleep. He runs almost two days straight to get this. He's exhausted. They bring him water as he hands the scroll and, and Joab opens it up, not Saul. Joab opens it up and he reads it and it says, in the heat of the battle, position Uriah right in the front, then pull back for him so that he's exposed and he's killed. Uriah has no idea that he was running with the execution papers for his own life because David was trying to cover his sin. And when, when Uriah dies, it's not just Uriah, but Abimelech and a few other men died that day. And when they bring report to David, listen to what David says. He says to the messenger, he says, well, the sword devours one as well as the other. Let this not do, hang on, hang on. This is, the, this is the kid who wouldn't let a lamb be taken by a lion or a bear. A lamb was, so, God elevated him to this position as king because of his value for a lamb. But now that he'd become king and felt like everything in the kingdom belonged to him, listen, everything in the kingdom belonged to him except those things that were in covenant with God. When a man marries a woman, they make a covenant not before men, but before God. 
David transgressed because he thought as king, as potentate, that he could just trample on the covenants of God. And because he trampled on the covenants of God, the Bible says the thing that he did displeased the Lord and the judgment comes against David. I want you to know that how you got something is how you keep it. God is going to elevate you. God is going to promote you. God is going to increase you. God is going to bless you. But understand the very principles that God promotes, the very principles that God looks at in your life and in my life that elevates us is the very things that you need to keep in your life. Don't be deceived by the devil that your faithfulness here means that once you get to there, you don't need to be faithful anymore. Your loyalty here, that once you get to a place of position and power, you don't, your, your kindness here means that once you become a, a great leader and a leader that you don't need to, the same principles here are the same principle. How you got it is how you keep it. How you got it in a relationship is how you keep it. I still open the door for, for my wife. I still pull the chair for my wife. In fact, if anything, I've learned that the way that I caught her, the way that I got her is the way that I need to keep her. However you got something is how you keep something. There's something powerful about obedience. God loves obedience. You, God so promoted me because when I was in Bible school, I didn't have the, the, the hereditary and I didn't have the background and the genealogy of the other students. They were sometimes second, third, fourth generation pastor's kids. But you know what? I knew that God loved prayer and I knew that God loved obedience. I remember reading a book by Dr. Cho and Dr. Cho said, if you want to please God, if you want to do something awesome for God, it's very simple, very simple formula. Two things, pray and obey, pray and obey. So I just made a decision that I can pray and I can obey. I can pray and I can obey. I remember coming to America and I'm in a Starbucks and there's pee and garbage all over the place and all over the seat and God says, clean it. I'm like, I'm not cleaning it. They've got attendants here. They've got employees here. And God said, if I can't ask you to clean a Starbucks toilet, how can I get you to clean up the city? Jesus in John 13, the night before he's betrayed, the Bible says he disrobes and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And as he washes the disciples' feet, he comes to Simon Peter and Simon says, Lord, there's no way I'm letting you wash my disciples. These are the plebs, they don't understand honor. I got it, I understand honor. You are too great. I'm not letting you wash. And Jesus is like, oh dear. He's like, Simon, what I'm doing, you don't understand, but I'm sending you an example that you, and then someone's like, well, then what about my hands on my head? And he's like, those who are already clean, don't just, I need, if I don't wash you, have no part with me. See, Jesus knew if I can't wash the filth off your feet and toes in an upper room, do you really think within the next 48 hours when I'm in the garden of Gethsemane and the weight of the world is coming upon me and a crucifixion and a beating, there's no return. Once I cross that line, there's no return. I'm going to have a crown of thorns rammed into my head. They're going to beat me so that my visage, Isaiah says, will not even look human. My form, will, I, will look like a, I will look like a wounded animal hanging on the cross. Do you really think if I can't wash the filth off your feet in an upper room that I'll be able to make that decision on that day to go through and wash away the sins and the filth of the entire world nailed to a cross? If I can't be faithful in the little, I won't be able to be faithful in the much. How you got it is how you keep it. Never stop being faithful. Let me quickly, because I'm running out of time. Let me really quickly. Number one, never lose faithfulness. Never, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good. You know, the truth is we never stop, never stop being faithful and never stop being a servant. You know, even when I'm in, in Target or 
Costco or anywhere, if I see a shopping cart, if I'm passing the, the cart return and there's someone's just jammed it in there so you can't park your car in there, it's like this little voice says, take that shopping cart. And, it, you know, is it, is it God or is it my own voice? Well, it may, may not even be God. He may just have nothing to do with it. But I'm going to lean in and listen because I know that God is a God of little things and God is a God of whispers. And if I can be faithful in what is least, He'll trust me with much. People look at our church and you've got all these buildings and, and San Marcos, you know, a $25 million project. Like it's a miracle. It's a miracle of God. It's a move of God that's about to be unlocked. We came here with, with not, how, how did all of that happen? Well, it's not because I'm so smart or because I'm such a brilliant strategist. It's because God found a David and I refuse to lose what I found in the shepherd's pen now that I'm in the palace, now that I'm in a position, now that I'm in a pastoral place of authority. I understand that the reason I'm here is because of what God saw there what God saw there. Never lose being faithful. Never lose being a servant. You never graduate from serving. We never graduate from serving. You never, ever graduate from serving. Don't let the devil say, well, you're a leader now. You don't serve anymore. You have people that serve you. Lose that thing. Jesus himself said, I'm setting you an example. I did not come to be served. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the creator of the cosmos, the galaxies, the heavens and the earth. He put the stars and the sun, the moon into orbit. He set the planets. He set the solar system. And yet he is serving. If Jesus serves, come on, how many people know you and I should be serving? We never lose our serving. We never lose honor. We are people that we honor. God elevates honor. If you are able to honor, then you are honorable. You are honorable. God is always looking for honorable people. Do we give honor where honor is due? It's, you know, the, the flesh, our human nature, our carnality, we, we, we struggle when someone else is promoted ahead of us, when someone else got a position we were hoping would come to us. And it's very hard to rejoice when they're rejoicing. But you need to understand that promotion doesn't come from the East or the West. Promotion comes from the Lord. And God may have seen for such a time to elevate them and not you, but don't, don't look to injustice or don't look to disdain or despise their promotion or their Rejoice with them and just go back to God and allow God to deal because maybe there's a jealousy, maybe there's an envy in your heart that God says, man, I want to promote you, but, but, but this will mess with you and I might lose you in the elevation. I might lose your heart in the elevation. David fought for little lambs here, but now when Uriah, one of his own servants, one of his mighty men, one of his warriors is killed, David's like, meh, the sword devours. What, what happened to his heart? How you got something is how you keep it. Devotion. Devotion is another thing. I have found that, that God loves devotion. If you are devoted to God, He'll be devoted to you. I've made it... a, a just a key in my life and in my beautiful Leanne's life, that we will read the Word every day. We read the Word every day because bu busyness will always be there. Projects will always be there. Ministry will always be there. Needs will always be there. Even Jesus says, the poor you'll have with you always. In other words, you'll always be surrounded by need. Martha and Mary are having an argument. Martha's busy, distracted with much serving, and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha's like, Jesus rebuked Mary. And Jesus actually, sweetheart, no, no, you're troubled about Mary, many things. Mary has chosen the right thing. She knows sitting and being ministered to 
is so important before you minister to other people. Lee and I made a decision that every day we read the word, we turn up to church, whether we feel like it or not. I bring my worship, whether I feel like worshiping or not. In fact, some of the biggest breakthroughs I've had was because I made a decision. I'm going to be devoted. He is, he is worthy of all my praise despite what I'm walking through, despite the condition of my heart, despite sadness, despite grief, I will come and I will lift up a sacrifice of praise. Come on, somebody. Sometimes it is a sacrifice of praise because I don't feel like giving it. I don't feel like doing it. God, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know the grief. You don't know. God knows the grief. But if you will come and bring a sacrifice of praise, you open gates and a flood. Some of the greatest breakthroughs in my life have come because of don't let the de the devotion down here, keep the devotion up there. God wants to elevate you. God wants to promote you. But can you understand the principle that how you got it is how you keep it? How you got it is how you keep it. Somebody say amen. Okay, in the last 38 seconds, point number two is, is going to be a complete contradiction of what I just said. What got you here won't get you there. What got you here won't get you there. Now, it's going to sound like a contradiction. It's a kingdom paradox. How many people know that a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, but it doesn't come out a caterpillar? It goes into a, cat, into a cocoon as a caterpillar, but it comes out a butterfly. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says the same thing. It says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You will find that in the kingdom, there is a principle that God reveals to one, but fulfills through another. God reveals to one, but fulfills through another. God reveals his intent and purposes to a Simon. But the intent purposes of God is not fulfilled through Simon. It's fulfilled through Peter. The God will speak to you and God will reveal to you his plans and purposes, but his plans and purposes for your life are beyond you. God will never call you to something you can do. He'll always call you to something that is beyond your reach, beyond your skill set, beyond your ability. Why? So that you realize without God, I cannot do this. And then what God does is he begins the process of transformation. God reveals to Abram, Abram, exalted father, that he's going to be a father and that he's going to have as many sons as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore that multitudes and nations would come from him. And so God reveals this plan to exalted father, but then God fulfills it through, not Abram, but through Abraham, father of multitudes. God has to change his name. God reveals his plan to Yahov. Yahov means usurper, thief, stealer, scammer. But it's not fulfilled through Jacob. It's fulfilled through Israel, prince with God. God reveals to Saul, but it is fulfilled through Paul. God is constantly, he reveals to Moses, but it is a Joshua that fulfills it. God reveals to one, but fulfills through another. I know in my life, I don't want to, to miss what God has for me. So I understand this, that what got me here, what got me here won't necessarily get me there if I resist the Holy Ghost, if I resist discipleship, if I resist correction, if I resist instruction, if I resist progress, if I resist development. But if I can, if I can hear what God has, if I can hear what He says, if I can then lean in and say, Lord, search my heart. If there's anything broken, if there's anything limited, if there's anything you want to put your hands on, and sometimes it is painful, 
Sometimes it is difficult, but I found the price is worth it because it is like going into a cocoon. I came in a caterpillar, but I'm coming out a butterfly. I'm coming out differently because I don't want God like with Moses. God was grieved and he said to Moses, because you disobeyed my voice and dishonored me in front of the people, you're not going to take him across. It was God's intention the whole time to reveal to Moses and fulfill through Moses. But instead it was Joshua. I don't want to be that person that is stubborn, that is unteachable, that is incorrectable, that is obstinate, that that is hard-hearted, that is arrogant, that is defiant. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person that understands that what got me here may not necessarily, I came in as a servant, but now God says, I need you to be a leader. I was once a youth pastor. Now God says, I don't need you to just disciple the emerging generation. I need you to disciple generations. I need you to step into the uncomfortable and discipling the generation that was before you. People you don't feel you can't connect to and relate to. You need to disciple them. You need to disciple your generation and the generations after. I came in because I could serve and I could preach and I could lead. And now God God is saying, I don't want you to just build this on you. I want you to release other people to preach and other people to minister and other people to be in the anointing and other people to lead and other people to pastor. I need you to raise up other people because what got me here won't get me there. I can't build the gift on my, I can't build this ministry on my gift, on my ability. I have to allow God to bring change. Can somebody say amen? So what got you here won't get you there. Are you open to teaching? Are you open to correction? Are you open to instruction? So again, the two kingdom paradoxes that that sound like they contradict each other. How you got it is how you keep it. How you got it is how you keep it. Faithfulness, servant heart, honor, devotion. How you got it is how you keep it. And then number two, what got you here won't get you there. Let God continue to, to metamorph you. Let God continue to change you. Let God continue to develop you. Make a decision. I, I want all that God has for me. Whatever price, it's not too difficult. Whatever price, it's not too steep. It's not too challenging. Whatever price, listen, He's going to touch deep areas in your heart. He's going to touch things that you're afraid of, embarrassed about, ashamed of. Let Him do it. If I have a testimony to leave you with, in 34 years of following Jesus Christ, I found the only person in this life that I can completely trust 100% with my heart is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. Invite him into the delicate areas, the broken areas. You don't have to fake it till you make it. You don't have to put on a camouflage and a a facade. You can let him in. God, I feel insecure here. Man, I feel threatened there. God, why am I struggling with this? If you bring it to God, he will heal and he will deal and he will promote. If you will let God into your inner rooms, he will let you into his glory. Somebody say amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these beautiful people. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the kingdom paradoxes. Lord God, that how we got it is how we keep it. But then at the same time, what got us here won't necessarily get us there. Help us to always be people that cherish the things that you cherish, that love the things that you love, that honor and value the things that you honor and value. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.